This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, there's this this form of exercise uh, that I'm a little skeptical about. A lot of people are saying that it's it's liberating and fun. Is it Tybo? But no, no, not yet. Although I do have Tybo on video cassette. I've done Tybo before, back I've in the done day. It too. Yeah, I used to do it in my parents' basement. Billy Blanks. Yeah, yeah, that guy's tough. I worked up a sweat. Good. But it's not, but it's not Tybo. It's not Tybo. No, no, no. We're talking about stripper sizing, aka cardio strip tees or strip aerobics, and you know, I, I, I am skeptical still, even after reading all the stuff we've read. But the people who do it seriously. Are freaking ripped. Yeah, well, this is with, this is with stripper sizing. Yeah, the cardio striptease, which is basically a combination of yoga moves plus some step aerobics. Plus, but on a pole. Well, this is different. Well, this is different from pole fitness. Okay. Stripper sizing is where it's more focused on taking your clothes off while burning calories. As opposed to pole dancing, in which you leave your clothes on while burning calories. Okay. There may or may not be a pole involved. And this it became pretty popular. Um, yeah, offered at crunch fitness gyms, for instance, uh, because Carmen Electra put out aerobic striptease. And, of course, you know, the Internet media being what it is, was like, oh, well, let's write a million articles about it. And then Sheila Kelly published a book called The S Factor, Strip Workouts for Every Woman. And she went on this whole media circuit and was always talking about how it revolutionized not only her fitness, Mm -hmm. but also reinvigorated her marriage. She's a mother of two. And that it's not this super sexual thing. It's just a liberating, fun workout. Sure. But in reading, and I totally, yes, I totally buy into that. I, yes, okay. But when I read quotes like this, it makes me go, seriously? So Sheila Kelly was interviewed by WebMD in their article about stripper sizing and and pole dancing classes and things like that, because Kelly does teach some pole dancing classes. And the quote that I, I pulled was, I began moving. And in that instant, something switched on in me. I was moving without a moment's forethought or self-consciousness. My body became like a river of sinew and muscle and raw energy. I allowed the music to curve and shape me with its wave. But Caroline, that's how I felt the first time I did Taibo. Should we, should we be so skeptical? Uh, no, yeah, that, that is one, 
one common thing when when you hear interviews with people who are very much into either strip cardio fitness or what we're going to talk focus more on in the podcast, which is pole dancing as exercise and yes, as sport, that a lot of the women who and men who practice this feel very strongly about these moves and how it makes their their body feel. Well, for sure, because you have to put so much strength and flexibility into hoisting yourself up on these poles. And a lot of people who do the flag, which is using their arm muscles to shoot their body straight out to the side. I mean, they, they, it's serious stuff. Yeah, moving on from the uh, cardio strip fitness to something more intense, which is the straight up pole dancing fitness it does require a lot of athleticism, and it has become pretty popular. Uh, according to American Fitness Magazine, from their May-June 2012 issue, Liz Schofield, who's a studio owner and founder of the Pole Fitness Association, says that the industry has grown 300% over the past couple of years, and she says that there are over 1,200 pole fitness studios around the world. This is not just an American-centric fitness trend. This is something going on everywhere. And again, this is distinct from quote unquote stripper sizing to to pole fitness. Think about pole dancing that you might witness at, yes, a strip club taken to the gym. Right. It's all tough. It's like stripping on steroids. Yeah, but there's no, but there's no stripping analogy. involved in no. pole dancing. Okay, it's like it's like the strip club itself. No, I don't know. I'm I'm losing my metaphors here. Um, but it it has a very uh, interesting history. If we want to get into a little bit of that, uh, it it's not necessarily a modern invention. Swinging around a pole. No, no. This is actually uh, the the pole dancing that we think of now is a fusion of Chinese and Indian pole and this was coming from like circus culture traveling fairs and also uh in more recent history exotic dance of course and the international pole dance fitness association offered a pretty comprehensive history of it and they talk about how with the chinese pole tradition it dates back to around the 12th century with circus performers who would move around the pole and they would uh the poles would be wrapped in rubber for grip but also, as you can imagine, going around poles and moving around it, uh, it would cause burn marks on mm-hmm. their on their skin. But the burn marks were actually signs of respect, hmm. like of toughness. Yeah. Interesting. You know? Yeah. I wonder if people would ever try to get those burn marks in other ways to be like, no, I, I'm I'm totally a pole guy. I'm on the pole all the time. Um, a lot of their tricks, a lot of the traditional Chinese pole tricks are actually still used in things like Cirque du Soleil, which I actually just saw recently with my parents. And it is crazy. Yeah? Yeah. All the things they do, they get up on the pole and the whole audience is like, ooh, I don't want to have to catch you. Yeah, I want to know if the average Cirque du Soleil performer's spine is somehow like different, genetically different from other people. I just... Just made a, of rubber. Yeah, it's amazing. There's also Indian pole, uh, a.k.a., someone correct me if I'm mispronouncing this, Malakam. Yeah, it's Malakam. Okay. Well, that also dates back to around the 12th century, but it didn't really become common until the 19th century. And it was intended not 
you know, on its own merit to just get on the pole and have a good time. It was intended as a way for wrestlers to train. It was a competitive sport at the time using a smooth wooden pole, and it was used to develop speed, reflexes, concentration, and coordination, all things, of course, that you would have to develop if you're trying to keep your body up on a pole doing all those crazy uh, poses. But today they have national, in India, they have national championships involving 14 states. Uh, But... It is an exclusively male sport, and uh, I gotta say, go on the internet and check out videos of this because it is pretty impressive. Especially when you see these young boys, like literally just dancing mm-hmm. around the pole, hopping all around and doing all sorts of tricks. It is very impressive. But if we move from circus sport into striptease, there's still a pretty rich history. If we go back to ancient mythology, there is a Sumerian goddess of love named Anana who would dance and remove one item of clothing or jewelry at each of the seven gates on the way to find her lover. And thus we have the dance of the seven veils. Yeah, there's also an Assyrian Babylonian myth that's very similar to that Sumerian myth. And the goddess, I think her name starts with an I, too. It's very interesting how all of this mythology ties in together. Moving forward to combining the whole, you know, seductive dance. There, We have the Moulin Rouge, belly dancers, Latin dancing. And Depression-era traveling fairs are cited as sort of a beginning for the modern pole dance, where, you know, they'd set up a tent, and the pole that holds the tent up, that's dancers would you know, dance around that. Yeah, speaking of dancing around the pole, there have been some sources we ran across that were trying to link it to the maypole tradition, you know, of kids grabbing the ribbons and going around the maypole. I believe that's separate from this kind of uh, pole as sport and then moving to striptease because it's, you know, obviously a um, a mix of all of these different elements. Um, but the Hoochie Coochie dancers uh, first originated at the Philadelphia Centennial Exhibition in 1876. And you combine the Hoochie Coochie dancers with that traveling fair pole dancing. And we have, you know, the more erotic kind of pole dancing that we might think of immediately today before we think of fitness classes. And in 1968, Oregonian listeners... Here's one for you. One of the earliest recorded pole dances at a strip club, I believe, uh, was happened in Oregon of that year. And then the pole dance craze really kicked off in Canada in the 1980s. Canadians, what's up? Who knew? Well, speaking of crazes, Kristen uh, sent me a link to a very interesting trend, which is pole dancing for Jesus. Yeah, this is, uh, it was a, a New York Times story about this woman who used to be a stripper and she would dance on the pole and all this, but then she converted to Christianity, but she wanted to teach women in her church these pole moves that she knew because, I mean, obviously it requires a lot of muscular strength and all of that. And so she would, she would teach classes at, the church and, of course, pole dancing for Jesus. That's that's a tr- funny little phrase mm-hmm. to say because oh, how, how could you possibly meld the two? Um, but uh, it it didn't take that long from the pole dance craze that supposedly started in Canada in the 1980s to translate into the fitness realm. In 1994, in fact, Fania Dietrich is the first person, at least known, to teach a pole 
fitness class. So we've now moved from the hoochie coochie to the strip club pole dancing to pole dancing outside the strip club in fitness clubs. And or for Jesus. And or for Jesus. This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever, especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart and everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages and it was really convenient to have disposable products and we we just had a, a lovely conversation um it was really fun yeah and i'm with the disposable products i know that the china brand provides durable and trusted products which i have used before that let you enjoy every moment of the get togethers and traditional or now not and there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Shinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at katanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code Mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Um. Well, you know, we we did mention that we're we're gonna get to how this is a serious sport. People, pole pole dancing, the pole, being on the pole. You have to have a lot of fitness to be able to do this. Uh, BuzzFeed in July 2012 had an article about this and about how uh, pole dancing associations and groups really want to go to the next Olympics. Uh, one of the dancers, KT Coates, started a petition to get pole dancing in the Olympics, which caught the attention of software analyst Timothy Troutman, who then went on to found the International Pole Sports Federation. He said that he's watched it become very popular. He says first it was housewives, then gay guys, then straight guys, and now even kids do it. Yeah, there was uh, some internet hubbub that was sparked uh, about uh, a class for pole dancing that was geared toward kids called the little spinners. Uh, and, but, I mean, you could still argue, though, all these women who are, and yes, there are some men as well, who are doing the pole fitness say, no, it's seriously 
a very good workout. And if you mm-hmm. watch these videos of the women doing these pole dances, for instance, Katie Coates uh, had a video of her doing a Swan Lake performance on the pole that went viral online and helped raise the profile of it as a sport aside outside of uh, stripping. And it's incredible. Just uh, uh, the fact that they can, the upper body strength mm-hmm. required is phenomenal. And Troutman, the guy who started the International Pole Sports Federation, says that the interest has doubled over the past six or so years. And they also organized the first World Pole Sport Championship, which took place days before the London Olympics uh, in hopes of getting the IOC's attention with it. And dancers from 26 countries competed in that. So mm-hmm. you could there there's a decent argument out there that pole dancing should be recognized as a sport but in order for the IOC to really give it a serious look it has to be something internationally recognized right. and as you can imagine when we think of pole dancing even still fitness is probably not the first thing that comes to mind Well proponents argue that like okay well you have a gymnast who's up on a balance beam why can't you just take the pole from being horizontal to vertical right and and do you know acrobatics or gymnastics on it that way and uh, miss pole dance 2010 felix crane was one of those people who uh was making an argument for olympic inclusion in a column uh on espn in august of 2012 she said that you know pole dancing can be performed to extremely high athletic standards you need extreme strength flexibility and control to be able to do this stuff so you know we're athletes too let us compete. And plus, you do have to sort of go back to that history of the pole, I think, to remember like, okay, this was like an ancient athletic practice that people did and they were really respected for it. It just became a very sexual thing. Right. I mean, and I'll go ahead and say that I could still have respect for the athleticism of strippers who are getting on those poles and spinning around and doing some pretty incredible feats that my body in its condition right now would not be able to do. Hey, um, I don't know. I'm day three of Couch to 5K, baby. Just let me loose. <laughs> you ready to go? <laughs> uh, yeah, and Crane also, speaking of the athleticism, though, just as an example, she's also a Cirque du Soleil performer. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you get to that level of the sport, these women are doing much more than just, you know, spinning around a pole haphazardly, as I would be, <laughs> I'm sure. I wouldn't be spinning around and I'd be on the floor crying. <laughs> Because I would have fallen and hurt myself. Well, Caroline, though, what about men who are involved in pole dancing? Because this is not just for women, even though it is dominated, not surprisingly, by women. Yeah, there's a there's a big effort by a lot of men to break into this sport that is seen as as female dominated. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal in, in back in uh, October 2011. There were seven male performers at the World Pole Dance Finals in Budapest that year, compared to 39 women. And a quote from Frenchman Kim Martinez, I think, sums it up. He says, people say it's hard for women in a man's world. Well, it's hard to be a man in this woman's world. 
and I'm not going to roll my eyes. Well, I mean, it, it is uh, a couple of them were talking about how if they're out at a bar, say, and there is a pole there, say, <laughs> and if one of their female friends who's into pole dancing hops up and everyone's like, yeah, but as soon as a guy hops up on the pole and starts spinning around, people are like, whoa. Yeah, what? Whoa, you are really, you're, I don't I don't know about that. <laughs> and um, pole dancing for dudes actually saw an uptick in popularity after Jude Law told a British tabloid that he and Clive Owen uh, took pole dancing fitness classes to get in shape for the movie Closer. Yeah, which does feature scenes in a strip club. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, well, I guess if Ju- I don't know why Jude Law is the impetus for all of that. Well, because it gives some kind of validation of saying, oh, well, you know, you can still be this masculine, handsome man that women are sexually attracted to and get on the pole. There you go. Well, some, you know, some men uh, who participate in this say that women are not very welcoming. Timber Brown, who's the son of a Marine who had gone to the police academy and quit to be a professional dancer, said subconsciously they don't want men because it's something that of theirs that they can hold on to. Literally. <laughs> Literally. And figuratively. Uh, yeah, Australian Maddie Shields said, it's been a fight for equality, and tonight we struck a blow. Yeah, There's- you go, men. I mean, that is great. I mean, I can I can understand, like, you can, you can play the, you know, both sides and say, well, what would we say, R.E. Title IX, you know? Shouldn't yeah. the old men deserve <laughs> to get on the pole as much as... They certainly do. ...as women do? Although I could see how having mixed competitions would be difficult to judge because of like biological discrepancies mm-hmm. in upper body strength between men and women. It seems like women might be at a slight disadvantage. Yeah. But the women still beat those seven male performers at the World Pole Dance Finals. Yeah. Well, uh, one one dude who had a similar experience to what I believe I would have if I tried to get on the pole was uh, BBC reporter Shirag Trivedi, who tried it out in March 2005. And he said that it felt like a total role reversal of the times that he's been to strip clubs because he said, you know, women are watching him do it and fail and they're taking pictures. And he realized just how physically demanding it is to get up on that pole and spin around and do all those dances. And his teacher said that it's not only a new way of exercising, but a new way of thinking, because you really have to train your body to do some pretty crazy things that you don't think you'll be able to do. Yeah, I mean, the idea of getting up on the pole and then like releasing my upper body while just my legs are holding on. I I can't imagine that I'm too, too nervous to do a headstand in my yoga class. I don't know that I could. Yeah. I don't know that I could brave the pole. Um, but speaking of braving the pole, uh, there is the whole question of, well, is this not just some kind of, you know, er- erotic thing that we're doing that it, it eventually just feeds back into this whole like pornification of the culture, as some might and have said? Uh, of course, there is a feminist spin to this and we did find a paper analyzing 
pole dancing as fitness. And the paper was Empowerment in the Pole, a discursive investigation of the reinvention of pole dancing as a recreational activity published in the journal Feminism and Psychology in 2009. And what the researchers did was talk to some pole fitness instructors, some pole fitness uh, class attendees who went all the time, some who just did a drop-in class, and then uh, male observers and other women who hadn't taken any classes to compare how the level of experience jived with whether they thought that it was a good or bad thing for women. Right, yeah, just the whole argument of like... Are you doing it because it's part of the patriarchy and for the male gaze? Or are you doing it because it's okay in the culture? Are you doing it because it's personally liberating? And they argue that there's a certain framework that because of that pornographication, there I said it, of our culture, that it's more acceptable in this period in history to be able to do things like that. And that, you know, maybe if this were a different time in history, all these women would be called sluts. And one of the conversations that that comes up a lot in this paper is the idea of the quote unquote raunch culture. And uh, you can read more about this in Ariel Levy's book, uh, Female Chauvinist Pigs, if you're curious about that. Um, and it's this whole idea that women must now also be considered sexy and comfortable with an open exhibitionist sexuality that by like pretty much anything is game. You know, Mm -hmm. you wear your crop top Playboy brand T-shirt and that is your form of sexual liberation or Girls Gone Wild is just a form of sexual liberation because we can just be open. But at the same time, they would argue that that's not empowerment. That's just pornification. And it's all feeding into this nasty kind of hypersexual culture that's not really doing anybody any good. Yeah. And they asked all those participants, um, you know, how, how it was framed in their minds, what they thought of it. Um, so there, there are three, three areas here where it's number one, it's framed as fun and or fitness. And in this regard, it can be empowering based on context. So as in fitness, it's empowering. You're doing it to get in shape. So that's empowering, not stripping. That's not empowering to these people who participated. Same, uh, same token. If it's fun, then it can't be degrading. I'm, I'm choosing to do it because it's fun and I can get in shape, therefore I'm not being degraded. There's also the whole issue of money exchange. So they said that monetary exchange delineates between empowering and disempowering positions. So you're in control when you're the one paying to take the class to learn to be a pole dancer. And there's also the issue of the male gaze. It depends on whether you're performing for a partner or a stranger. And as you can uh, expect, they said that performing it willingly for a loving partner was empowering and fun versus what they considered to be not as empowering if you're a stripper doing it for strangers. And I think that says so much about how we view uh, the, you could say sex work as a whole, but in this instance, stripping and that whole issue of the money exchange. Because I'll tell you right now, there are plenty of strippers who will say that the opposite is true. That the fact that they are receiving money for getting up on that pole and dancing for the male gaze is a form of empowerment. That they know exactly what they're doing, that they're making a living off of that. And whether or not you are okay with the way that they're making that money, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it's uh, it's interesting that we aren't so scared of getting up and doing the exact same moves 
on the pole as long as our clothes are on, even though with uh, pole fitness dancing, you can't wear many clothes at all because of uh, friction and all that. Right. Uh, so you, if, as long as your your breasts and your vagina are covered up and no one's throwing dollar bills in your face, then it's empowering. So why why is that, you know, a, a difference if it's outside of the strip club or inside? And I... I'm not arguing one way or the other. I just think it's, uh, I think it says a lot about our culture to where maybe we aren't as sexually liberated as we would like to be. And maybe there is a bit of a double standard there. Mm-hmm. But I think what we can both agree on, though, Caroline, mm-hmm. is that, well, cardio strip, strip tees, and uh, there, I've even seen there was the newest thing, which was stripping cardio striptease in high heels. I would, I would kill myself. I would trip and break my neck. It's, I would. It's just not good for you. Working on stilettos is not is not very good for you. Um, that I I also raise a skeptical eyebrow at because it's like at that point it's like just you can just do yoga or just do aerobics. But I think you and I can both agree that pole dancing absolutely is an athletic. Endeavor. Yeah, if you want proof, Google it. Look at pictures of those people. They have like 17-pack abs. I don't know where that extra one came from, but they have a lot. Yeah, and that goes for whether or not it's in the context of a strip club Mm -hmm. or a fitness club. But obviously, the level of respect for it does shift. Right. So I'm I'm wondering if there are any pole fitness instructors or pole fitness enthusiasts who are listening to this because I'm sure that if you and I were to start taking pole fitness classes and you know we casually dropped that in conversation people would look askance. I think it would also be, like, especially if it were in mixed company, I think dudes would be like, oh, hey, ladies. Well, or people would immediately question your motivation for right. it. Saying, well, wh- why do you need to, why do you need to work out all sexy like that? Why don't you just come to Zumba with me? I'm sexy all the time. <laughs> Ooh, snap. Even at yoga, in my private yoga class, I'm like, Sorry, just let me take these heels off. <laughs> <laughs> Stiletto yoga. Stiletto yoga. <laughs> That's the next trend <laughs> that we will start. It with. surprisingly doesn't help you touch your toes. I want to start like at like bathroom, bathrobe trends, like bathrobe yoga, bathrobe jogging. Let's integrate more <laughs> bathrobes into our our leisure activities. That's, Absolutely. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Um so we want to know from you though. It does does the context matter is it is it double standard that we can respect it outside the strip club but inside the strip club women are just victims to everything terrible about gendered culture. Let us know all of your thoughts about pole dancing and, and especially, yeah, if you, if you do it in any context, we want to hear from you. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send your letters. Gotta tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out. Which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. 
Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. We've got a couple of letters here in response to our episode on PDA, Public Displays of Affection. And these were specifically from uh, our LGBT listeners because we dedicated that episode to to those fine folks. And so Gretchen writes, I'm 22 and a lesbian engaged to my 24-year-old bisexual female fiancé. We're in law school. I'm in Minneapolis and she's in Indiana near Chicago and works in the city. PDA really depends on the situation. I'm more confident and don't even notice the stares. But she came out to be with me and her area is more conservative except for when we're in Chicago for trips or her work. So it's more difficult for her. So she goes on to talk about how there are are differences in the kinds of PDA that they're um, okay showing depending on where they are. For instance, she writes, when she'd see me in Minneapolis, we were freer. The best thing was going to a cocktail party my school's LGBT organization put on. I also felt that fall that PDA was political since Minnesota had a marriage amendment on our ballot that election. We should be able to feel comfortable in any situation and the amendment's defeat helped that. Being in different situations like this has shown me the differences in attitudes seem mainly geographic, urban versus suburban slash rural, age-based, younger people are more likely to smile than stare or comment, and politically based, liberal versus conservative. Things have really been going our way lately with marriage, Obama statements, and other protections. I hope they keep changing so one day we don't have to think about how we show affection. So thanks, Gretchen. And I have one from Ray. She says, firstly, I want to thank you so much for doing an episode with significant research data for the LGBT community. I'm a huge fan of your podcast and of any and all discussion about gender in the world today, but I am frequently disappointed, as I know you are, by the lack of research regarding queer individuals. Secondly, I just wanted to respond personally to the PDA episode. I'm a lady married to a lady, and we were married in California right before Prop 8 swooped in and ruined everybody's fun. My wife and I made a resolution very early on in our marriage to never hide our relationship with one another and to treat each other the same way regardless of location, company, or surroundings. We had met at a conservative religious university and had been forced to hide our relationship while there. It had been terrible for us, and we resolved to never go back. 
That being said, while we are certainly never sucking face or going to town in public, we do often hold hands and will exchange a quick kiss on occasion. We have definitely had a variety of responses, and sometimes it can be very scary in certain environments. It can be very surreal to be holding your lover's hand in one hand and have your other hand on emergency speed dial. The uproar and ugly controversy surrounding Prop 8 at the beginning of our life together certainly had a deep and irreversible impact on our relationship and how we view ourselves in the world. However, it has been our experience that things are getting better and better. And we know that LGBT people before us made incredible sacrifices to help us get to this point. Despite possible discomfort or even danger, my wife and I hope that we can further help society accept people like us so the next generation doesn't have to worry about it. It is personal and it is political. So thank you, Ray. And thanks to everyone who has written in to us. Momstuff at discovery.com. Keep your letters coming. You can also find us on Facebook and send us a message there or leave a comment. You can also follow us on Twitter. Tweet us at momstuffpodcast. And we're on Tumblr as well. It's stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. And if you want to get smarter this week, you should head over to our website. It's howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world, and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Allie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.